Good evening. Before we start, somebody asked me, I don't know if they're here this evening, last week about Malik. It was you? Right, so you are here. Um, whether leak is a problem of keeping leak overnight without any, um, unlike onions. So even though leak is from the onion family, but it's considered a separate vegetable and there's no problem leaving leak overnight. So you can cut your leak up and make your salads and have it ready for your salad in your plastic bag in the fridge and no problem at all. It's quite clear in the, in the Foscan that leek is considered separate to onions um, and you can keep it overnight. Okay, I hope that solves that problem. The we're in the middle of discussing the halachas of Shavuos and we're going to try and go through as many relevant halachas that will be prevalent this year, particularly since it's Shabbos. So some of the halachas of Shabbos, uh, pre-Yomtev, is very important. We stopped in the middle last, in, in the last year, we got a little bit sidetracked and bogged down by questions, if I remember rightly, and we got stopped in the middle of discussing the different minhagim and the relevance of the different minhagim of eating milky on Shavuos. So we mustn't forget that Shavuos, there's a minig to eat milky. Many of us eat milky on Shavuos. Uh, the, the two basic minhagim that exist today, and we'll just briefly run through them again. The first one is to eat milky on the night of Shavuos. Both nights of Shavuos to eat milky and during the day to have a normal meaty meal. That's probably the most common custom in this room, but uh, I'm not going to ask you to vote on it. But that's probably what, what I would say most of Ashkenaz do. They have milky meals at night and meaty meals during the day. I saw today that, that somebody quoted the name of the stifler that he had a minute to have milky meals at night and uh, meet the meals during the day. Uh, we've been through the discussion of this minig in previous year, and not, we're not going to go through it at length this year, that it's a minig, but some people disagree with the minig. Some, like every minig, some people say the minig is wrong, and some people say the minig is right. The reason why people don't like this minig is because is there a chiv to have meat on yomtev? There's a mitzvah to have meat on yomtev. Does that apply to the night of yomtev as well? And if it does, how can you push away a mitzvah of simchah yomtev by having milky, uh, milky meal. But be as it may, we do have that minute, so that's a, a, an easier minute to cope with. There's less halachic difficulties with the minute of having milky at night, except for the preparation, as we discussed in the previous year. The, how careful one has to be when one prepares the meal, milky meals and the milky meals if one, one's going to prepare it at the same time. However, there's another minute which is more prevalent in the Hasidic circles, and that is where they have meaty at night and they have a basic meaty meal during the day but before the meaty meal they will wash and have a milky meal and they'll have particularly a milky bread and Morgan Avram says that the whole purpose is to have a milky bread and then clear the table and have another continue the meal bring another bread out which is now a meaty bread not meaty but not milky a, a normal loaf of bread and that way you end up having a, a meal which contains partly milky partly meaty, in that meal you brought two loaves of bread and that's the understanding behind the Ramah and this is the meaning that Ramah actually says, quotes, oh, no, the third meaning which Hasidim have and that is that they only have meaty meals and then they have a Kiddush with, with a bit of milky or in the afternoon they have a milky meal, uh, a, a milky kid, not Kiddush or a milky snack. But those are the two minhagim that we want to discuss today. Go on. We're going to discuss that. We're going to they don't bench. The Ramad didn't bench. We're going to discuss that in a moment. So, so the, they, what they would do is they'd come home from shul, make kiddush, wash, uh, have a milky meal, a meal with a milky bread, and I don't know what, what else is milky in the meal. Maybe a milky soup. I have no idea. Can you go away, please? I don't know who you are, and you're annoying me. 
a milky bread, a milky, a, a, a small milky meal, and then they would make a break and bring a, a new bread out, and that would be the beginning of the meaty meal. And that's a minute which the remark quotes, and that's a minute which the Mogul Rome says, and that, that is a minute which exists in Kali's role. But this minute has difficulties to it. And the reason why this minute has difficulties is because the Nirmar says that if you eat milky and you, then you eat me- meaty, that's okay, that's fine. But the source of the Nirmar, which tells us that you must make a break between milky and meaty, etc., is milky and meaty, not meaty and milky. Meaty and milky is a Gemara. But milky and meaty is, it comes from the Zoya. And it's brought down in Halacha, in Shulchan Aruch, the Nirmar quotes is Zoya. Now, if you look in the Zoya inside, the Zoya actually says you're not allowed to eat milky and meaty in the same meal. Do not ever eat milky and meat in the same meal. That's the wording of the Zoya. Uh, the Arizal takes it actually a, a, a step further. The Arizal says if you eat milky during the day, you shouldn't eat meaty that day at all. So if you have cheese pizza for breakfast, then you can't have meaty the rest of the day. But none of us have that minute, so you don't have to worry about that. But the Zoya does say if you're eating milky in one meal, don't eat meaty in the same meal. So that is, creates problems, because if you want to fulfill that Zoya, then this minute falls apart. And that's why the Hasidim created a, a, what we call a new minute, We'll see a bit later some really interesting halakhas which the Hasidim have invented because they want to try and get it right. And they, they actually have two meaty meals, but then in the afternoon, or they'll make kiddush and have a milky kiddush, and then only wash and have the meal a bit later, but they won't actually have these two breads. But the remark does tell us that the minute was in Ashkenaz in the time of the remark to have a single meal with two separate breads for the Shtehalechem. One bread is milky, one bread is parav. So let's run through some halakhas regarding milky breads and meaty breads, which we need to discuss, we began to discuss last week, and the relevance on how you run a meal where you're having milky and meaty in the same meal, because there's a number of complications there which one's got to be careful about. So the first thing is that you must remember to actually bake a milky bread or to bake meaty bread is forbidden. You're not allowed to bake a milky or meaty bread, as we've discussed many times, because we're worried that you might have some left over and you might eat the bread with, with meat, or a meaty bread, you might eat it together with milk. So therefore it's also to bake a milky or, or, or meaty bread, unless you bake a very small amount that will definitely be finished in the, in the meal, so it's only a small roll that you will definitely finish at the meal, then you don't have to worry about it, then you can make a milky bread. I don't know how you make a milky bread, maybe you put butter in it, I don't know. But you put milk in it, okay, if you say so, I've never had a milky bread, so I don't know. Uh, then you must make sure, or you can make, or you can put a sign on the bread, that means make some sort of picture, uh, before shape, just some sort of, you have a normal bread, but you put some sort of a decoration on the top, which makes it very clear that this bread is different to normal bread, so you'll take it out of your freezer and you say, one second, well, I that I put that picture on the top, and you'll stretch your memory, and you remember, oh, I remember that, this is pre-shavuos, milky bread, mustn't eat it together with meat, and you'll remember, and therefore we're not worried that you'll come to inadvertently use this and dip it into your, use this bread by dipping it into your soup into your meaty soup. And thirdly, if you make a separate shape, which is an unusual shape, so again, you'll take it out of the freezer and you look at this bread, and you'll see one second, this bread's a, a weird shape. I don't normally make machalas like that. Machalas are normally a normal shape. And then you'll remember that this is a milky bread and you won't use it. So if you have either of those three conditions, it's small enough that it'll be completely consumed and finished in the suda, or it has a sign on it, or it has a specific new shape, then that's permitted. Which therefore means now, we don't really bake milky, milky bread, maybe you do, but, but most people don't break, bake milky chalas. The way it is relevant for us, this halacha is, you must remember, not all of us have three ovens, or two ovens, some of us only have one oven, and one oven is primarily used for meaty. Very difficult to cash an oven from meaty to milky if you don't have a pyrolytic oven, so it's very, very hard, so you usually keep it meaty and, and etc. But when we're baking parav in it, we must remember to try and make sure that the oven's clean and we've 
kasha the oven just between meaty and pyrus so my chalas are not considered meaty and my cakes are not considered meaty uh, depending on what type of chala it is and what type of cake it is it could cause a problem and the chala and cake could actually be meat could end up being meaty and when you drink your coffee and you have your cake with your coffee you could, be, you could have problems of mixing milky, milky and meaty together and therefore always when you're baking from parab in a meaty oven try and cash it oven in between uh, and that's just a practical offer. How you cash it is you can make sure it's clean. You don't have to do a whole pre-pesach clean, but you just make sure it's basically clean, and then you heat it up for, for 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes on the highest, and that will be sufficient for that will be sufficient for cashing from parav to to. You don't have to wait 24 hours. It's nice if you do, but you don't have to, because you've cashed it, and it's only going from parav to to from meaty to parav. You're not going from meaty to milky. Uh, to cash it from meat to milky in our ovens is very difficult. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, it really is difficult. There's so many areas where the meat could get get into and not actually be cashed properly. So if it's not paralytic, it's a very, very... Uh, I'm not a big fan of using milky and meaty at the same time. Parab to milky, etc., that's not the end of the world. And if you have two ovens, one meaty and one parab, and then you want to make a cheesecake before paste, before sukkah, before sukkah, before shavuos, in your parab oven, then again, just cash the oven between milky and parab, that's not the end of the world that can be done. But to cash it from milky to meaty, that's not, not really advisable if you can avoid it. it. It's a complicated halakha because not everything that goes in an oven actually will be become meaty. If it has no steam in it, if you put a bread in an oven and there's no steam coming out of that bread at all, then it won't become meaty even in a meaty oven. So it just depends on, on how much hydration there is in your in your bread and do you put egg on it and, and, and other variables that are in different people's colours. So to go through the whole subject now, which colour is going to be a problem, which isn't, it's not really the subject here tonight. But I just want to give you a background to some of the issues that have come up pre Shavuos and that's one of them. The next halakha which you must remember is if you are going to follow the, you do have the minute of the Ramah where you have one meal with meaty and milky, um, eating milky comes with a slight problem. If you're going to eat hard cheese in your meal, so you're going to have, a, I don't know, a, a quiche with hard cheese on it, or you're going to have pizza for your milky, or pizza wheels, and never have hard cheese. I, I'm not much of a cook, so you, my, my uh, repertoire of food isn't that great. But uh, you probably can imagine be- better than I can what types of milky foods you might like to serve for your milky meal. And don't forget, you've got a milky meal which is going to be followed by a meaty meal in a very short time afterwards. And you must remember that the halacha says that if you have gavina kosher, if you eat hard cheese, then you need to wait six hours, like you need to wait between milky, between meaty and milky. So if you eat meat, you have to wait six hours before you can have your milk. If you eat milk, Hard cheese, you need to wait six hours from hard cheese to, to oh, eat. Now, we're going to discuss this, so don't get nervous. <laughs> so, the halakha is hard cheese, you have to wait six hours. What's the definition of hard cheese? Says the shach, and you're there, that the definition of hard cheese is cheese that's been matured for six months. Most of our hard cheese doesn't actually mature for six months. Some of it stays on the shelf for six months, but most of it doesn't stay on the shelf. Some, there's one or two, I don't remember the name, some of them, some, one or two of them do, but most of them are not there for six months. You might actually have it by a, a normal cheddar, they might have been on the shelf for six months before it got to you. That can happen, but it's not actually, it's usually mature for two to three months and then it goes out to the shops. If you, you know, if, it's, if it's, it's selling well, then it'll go along before six months. If it's not, it'll stay on the shelves for six months and eventually you will eat it. Now, whether that's called, therefore, not, not called hard cheese, 
is a huge discussion in the Poskim. In America, they don't know what you are telling America that you have to wait six hours after hot cheese, they think you're completely off the wall. They, they've never heard of the Salafa, they don't believe the Salafa actually exists. Because what you're saying to them is that they can't go and have a snack of pizza and then go and come home and have their, their hot dogs and, and it's just totally beyond them. The American Rabbonum have all accepted that cheese, the hard cheese, that is not considered hard cheese. It's not considered hard cheese. Though, they do stumble when it comes to real hard cheese, which there does exist. And today with the, the population of, of hard cheeses, you go to the shops today, go to Kosher Kingdom and you look at the amount of hard cheeses on the shelves, it's just unbelievable. There are definitely some there that are really hard cheese. There's definitely some which are really hard cheese, but in America they don't know what this halak is all about. Here in England, the minigal was always to take on that our hard cheese is considered hard cheese, even though it's not matured for six months. But in modern day, modern technology matures and enables things to, to react faster than they did in the, old, in the old days. Anybody who ever tried to bake, bake bread like they used to in the old days will know that to bake bread like they used to in the old days takes about 8 to 10 to 12 hours. You try and bake bread 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day, you will go mad. You put your yeast in and to an hour later, an hour later, two hours later it's risen, and then you've, within three hours you've got your, 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 your bread and your challah out of the oven. In the old days, and that's why in the time of, of, of coming out of Mitzrayim, they, we came out and we didn't have time for the dough to rise, which we, we can't understand that because how long does it take for dough to rise? If you put some yeast into your dough, you went out in the sun on your back, it'll rise. Believe me, it'll rise, and it'll bake, and it'll be a challah. It won't be a matzah. But if you take old-fashioned bread, which takes 12 hours to prove, roughly between 8 and 12 hours, and when they took their dough out, out of Mitzrayim, it was nowhere near ready to, they just made their, their dough, and they went out, it became matzah. That's what happened, because it takes 12 hours to prove. So modern technology can actually speed up the process of what, in, in, in old-fashioned times, took an enormous amount of time. Uh, therefore, it could be that our cheese the way we, we, we process it and the rennet etc and it's all synthetic rennet today it could be it processes it and hardens it and, and it matures and, and at, a, at a much quicker rate so I can't answer that question maybe no maybe you'll turn around and say if you ever ate hard old fashioned cheese you know that this cheese is really soft and it's not hard I have no idea but the Dominican England was always to on hard cheese any hard cheese to wait six hours so those who have the minute to wait six hours should carry on the minute waiting six hours those who don't have the minute to wait six hours don't wait six hours that's only if you wait six hours between meaty and milky. If you wait three hours, then you wait three hours. Uh, though we've discussed that three hours has very little mercury and halakha. And if you wait one hour, then only wait one hour. That w- we're not getting involved in the... And if you wait just until your fifth hour, wait until your fifth hour. If you wait five and a half hours, you can wait five and a half hours. Whatever the minute is, we're not... This is not a discussion now in the halakhas of Basu B'cholom. It's just to be aware that if you're going to be eating a milky meal, and then you're going to be eating a meaty meal afterwards, you must remember that you need to wait the, the relevant time that, is, that needs, one needs to wait in between the milk and the meat. Now here there's a very interesting, very interesting minhogim, where shores for some reason minhogim are all strange when it comes to shores. There's one minhog which is mentioned in the Bear Hater, it's mentioned in Shulchan Oroch, uh, as a minhog, that there, there were some people who have a meaty meal during the morning, a proper meaty meal, and in the afternoon, in order to fulfill the minhog of having milky, would eat milky, or have a proper milky meal in the afternoon, without waiting for six hours. So even though the whole year round they would never ever dare to eat milky within six hours of a meaty meal, Shavuos is different. Shavuos, they do not wait six hours. This is a, a minute quoted in Hamachlet. From meaty to milky, they do not wait six hours. Unbelievable minute. Chatiakir says, oh, Chatzashon, you mustn't do such a thing. And it's also, but, but the minute existed. There were people out there 
historically, you're not going back that long ago, a couple of hundred years ago, who would have a full meter meal, so you can imagine that in, in the time of the Behaviour, you came to shul, it wasn't a, a little shkibble that they went to, you went to the shul in the center in your village or in your town, it was a big shul, everybody came and we davened and we said, oh, long to with all the pewter and all the yetras, and by the time you finished davening, it was, it was pretty late, and then you had your meal, and the meal takes, depending how much of a schmoozer you are, a, me- a meal takes uh, an hour, two hours, takes a while, and then in the afternoon they were having a milky meal so even if it was in the afternoon like here in England you still haven't got six hours time you finish your meal at two three o'clock two five six o'clock to have your milky meal there's less than six hours the minute was not to wait six hours unbelievable unbelievable minute uh, what's even stranger is that in the Naimeli Menachites not brought down Halakha and the again these are all just the pots can just really go to town and they can't understand any of this because how can you not wait six hours from meat to milky Naimeli Menachites when it comes to Shavuos in order to be able to to fulfill the minig of the remor, so you're allowed to have a milky meal in the morning, and then don't wait six hours. Have your meal, your hard cheese and everything. They didn't have cream cheese and those things in those days. So a milky meal, hard cheese, and then because it's shavuos, you don't have to wait your six hours, and you can have your meat and meal shortly afterwards without waiting six hours. And the whole the whole halacha of waiting six hours with milk and meat falls aside when it comes to shavuos. The same thing, we're in reverse. And the Pasuk will all shout and, sh- you know, shout and scream, how can it be? What did he mean? He didn't mean that. He must have meant something else. But the concept of Shavuos, and we've seen that now a number of times, I Minhagim mean, and Shavuos seem to be, don't actually fit into the parameters of normal Minhagim. They seem to be somehow or other beyond the, the, the normal Minhagim. We the Torah, you'd think, on the day that we the Torah, we should be more pedantic about our Minhagim. We should get it exactly perfect. But no, Minhagim seem to have changed. We eat milk and meat in the same meal, according to some people. We don't have or we don't wait six hours between meat and milky or milky and meat is very strange the whole yomtev is very very strange but we're not here to discuss the esoterical side of shavuos we're here to discuss the halacha but that, that's the practical side of shavuos when it comes to milky and meaty there's some real interesting halachas which, which are, are extremely pertinent and relevant most of us here are careful we, we won't eat milky and meaty in the same meal or we won't, we'll definitely wait six hours between hard cheese and, uh, or meat and hard cheese or hard cheese and meat etc but there's definitely people out there who are much more makeable next thing you have to remember is if you're going to be eating milky and meaty in the same meal then after you finish the milky part of the meal or even if you're going to bench in between even if you're benching in between you must remember that you have to wash your mouth out and clean your mouth out. The way we wash and clean our mouth is by eating some bread. So you'd have to eat some bread which is not milky and rinse your mouth out with some liquid, either not rinse it out, drink uh, water or wine or etc. etc. Similar to the minig of not, it's not minig, it's not of not to mix fish and meat. So therefore there's a minig on Friday night. After the fish course, because you can't have a Friday night without fish, after the fish course you would eat a bit of challah with a drink of l'chaim and uh, yeah, the minute today is to drink half a bottle of l'chaim but you don't need to go that far you just need to drink a little bit and that way you cleanse the mouth from the fish and you can now go straight into the meat same halach applies when it comes to milky and meaty even if it's not hard cheese even if it's soft cheese whatever it is you need to clean the mouth out to make sure that there's no contamination cross-contamination between the milky and meaty and you do that by eating a bit of challah and having a drink Secondly, another halach which is extremely relevant is that if you do have a milky meal and then you go on to meat meal, oh, you're mechuk to wash your hands. Uh, a person's mechuk, you've just touched cheese. Cheese is greasy. And that's going, that grease is going to remain on your hands. You're then going to then eat your, your I don't know, your, your, your pulka with your hand. And uh, when nobody's watching, you're going to be eating the pulka with your hand and you'll end up cross-contaminating between milk and meat. 
Halacha says, this is not made up. Halacha says you have to wash your hands between the two meals. So besides rinsing your mouth out by eating and drinking, you then have to wash your hands. Thirdly, you have to make sure that you don't use the same tablecloth. Shavuot tells us very clearly that you have to change tablecloths. So if you've got this minute of having two sets of colors, meaning one meal with two sets of colors, half the meal milky, half the meal meaty, you've got a lot of halachas that you need to remember. The halachas of how to bake bread, the halachas of not cross-contaminating the milky and the meaty, the amount of hours you need to wait in between to make sure it's not hard cheese, etc., etc., washing your hands, changing your tablecloth, it's a bit of a hullabaloo if you ask me. Simpler just to eat your milk and meal at night. But who am I to question any minute? But you need to know the halakha just in case that is your minute. Fine, let's move on back to Shabbos and Yom Tov. Now that Yom Tov this year falls in Erev Shabbos, so we need to try and remember some of the halakhas of preparing. What one's allowed to prepare on Shabbos for Yom Tov and what one's not allowed to prepare on Shabbos for Yom Tov. Meaning, on Shabbos, one's not allowed to do any preparation for the next day. Like, you can't prepare on Shabbos for Matzoi Shabbos, which is a weekday. You can't prepare on Shabbos for Yom Tov, which follows straight after Shabbos. So one has to be careful what one can do on Shabbos, what one can't do on Shabbos, not to transgress in any way the problem of Hachana. So therefore, washing up. You finish your Shabbos meal in the morning, and you want to wash up, so it's all ready for your Yom Tov meal at night. It's very common for people to think, well, it's Yom Tov tonight, but we need the meal. Yom Tov is also Kadosh, it's a Suda, so let me wash up now and then it'll save me time. And don't forget, we're going to be very rushed this year. This year particularly we're going to be very rushed. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it now, I was going to talk about it a bit later, but we're going to be really rushed this year. First of all, it's very late in the year, so Nacht is late. We have the Minig in our shul on a normal year to Daven Mariv early not like most of the other shuls. Now the reason why we have a minute different to most of the other shuls is because we have a Messiah. And most of the other shuls don't have a Messiah. Meaning like this, if you open up a Mishnah Burr, Mishnah Burr says you mustn't have an early in shuls. To the extent that some people have a minute, they won't even light candles early on shuls. Because shuls have to be 50 days after Pesach. And if they light candles early, then you've been recovered on for less than 50 days. So therefore, it's not, it's not yet the time for shuls. Shavuos has to be when it's night, 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 nightfall. Can't be before nightfall. And that's how the Mishnah Brewery doesn't talk about Hadlokas Neris, but he talks about Dabbing Mariv, and he said you shouldn't Dabbing Mariv and definitely not make Kiddush before night. And that's the Mishnah Brewery, and that's how most people in the world will follow, because that's what the Chavot Chaim says. And that's what one should do if one doesn't have a Messiah. However, the, the, the Messiah, I'm just going to switch this off, I'm sorry. nobody knows my number, so I'm not quite sure who's calling. The, the Messiah in Ashkenaz, though, and this comes from two, three, four hundred years ago, almost from the time of the Hassan Sefer, the Noah Ketsoyim Yasef is a Sefer, who, uh, a very early Kadman, who writes the Minhagim of Ashkenaz, and it's quoted in the Malamad Lahoyal, of course, uh, Horowitz from uh, Berlin, and he writes very clearly, the Minhagim of Ashkenaz was to, to be Mechabal Yomtev early, even Shurus, and he writes him why, and he says, and very, very, is very important for us to remember because it's going to be a bit relevant this year. He says, if you dub at night, he says, we live very north. So you can imagine I lived in, in, in Berlin, which is quite north. So nightfall is very late, like it is here, particularly this year. Nacht is going to be about 20 past 10. Before we can start dubbing Mari, but nacht is going to be 20 past 10. And then you've got Marovus, and you've got uh, Chazan, and you've got uh, long dubbing, and everybody's going to say good yom to... Everybody's got to say good yom to, to, to the Rob. Everything takes time. You're not going to get home before quarter past eleven. 
Right? He did in Gaitet, where it is now made Nachta, half past 11, never used to be, but it's now half past 11, 25 to 12. And there they have to have a lovely, beautiful davening as well. The Shibisha davening, it's going to take a long You don't get home till half past 12. Right? Then you're going to start sitting down. Then you're going to start sitting down and have a meal. Right? So, quarter past 11. Let's talk about us here. So, quarter past 11, you're going to start having a meal. Time you set to settle down. Right? Past half past 11. So a meal, you can't rush the meal, it's not fair. The wife's been cooking for three weeks for the for sure. How can, you, how can you rush the meal? So you've got to take your time. So half past 11, half past 12, one. By the time you finish your meal, it's quarter past one. Then you bench, and then you have your coffee, because you're going to be learning all night, so you have to have your coffee. So you're not going to get out of the house half past one, quarter to two. And then before you turn around, the night's gone. So the Noe Kassan Yeshua says it's much better to double marry early, and be makabal yomtif early, make yomtif early, come home, have a nice long meal, and have the whole night to learn. Don't waste a moment of the night on sitting down and talking and, 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 and eating when you can really have a whole night of learning. And that's it's important. And, and that's the minute Ashkenaz. That's why we daven early. We daven early so that you can come home, have a meal, and get back early to be able to learn. However, this year, everybody agrees you can't daven early. So this year we have a problem. If we have a problem this year, that means that we're going to be doubling married for 20 past 10, and we're going to go through this whole problem, we're going to come home, etc., etc. Now, as women, you've got an extra problem, because you can't prepare from Shabbos to Yom Tov. So there's very little you can do from Shabbos to Yom Tov. Even taking your food out of the freezer on Shabbos, according to some proskim, is not permitted. It's hachoma. So you're going to come up to Shabbos, and you're going to start preparing, even if it's a, a basic meal, Right? You're going to have to start preparing, get it ready for when they come over for sure. You've only got about 40 minutes. Because with, with, with the Marovers and with the Chazan and with the Good Shabbos and Good Yom Tov, etc., they'll be home within 45 minutes. And you have to have your food ready so that the, the, the men can sit down and eat. You can have a, a respectable meal because it's Yom Tov. It has to be a, a proper meal. But at the same time, get them out of the house fast enough that they can have some sort of evening, some sort of night to learn and do what, what, what one needs to do on a Shavuos, which is primarily to learn Torah before Kabbalah Satayah, which is going to be the Kriya Satayah of the morning. We're, we're in a bit, bit of a bind, we're a bit of a rush here. So if you're going to start playing an elaborate meal, which is going to need an enormous amount of preparation, etc., etc., we're, we're destroying the main focus of Shavuos. Now, I should have told you this two weeks ago, because it would have been nicer to give you more time to prepare, but my advice to women is, on the first night of Shavuos, it's a, a very nice meal. Covered jumps of meal, but don't make a meal that's going to need enormous amount of preparation. And don't make a meal that's going to have 30 courses. And don't make a meal that's going to keep yourselves and the men there. Don't forget today the women also step at night. You know, there's, and in, in most, most of God's dream, there's partner partnership. Sure, uh, uh, sure for men, sure for ladies. Baruch Hashem, we haven't gone down that route yet, and hopefully we never will. But at the end of the day, y- you 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 want the night to be used for its main purpose. Therefore, let's have a meal which is easy to prepare, doesn't have a, a huge amount of, doesn't need a huge amount of time for preparation, and you have to wash up still, and you have to get your, your stuff, well, if you're eating milky, you don't need to wash up, I suppose you're right. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to tidy up and make sure it's ready for Yom Tov, and lay the table, put a new tablecloth on, and etc., etc., et light the candles. There's, there's quite a lot to do in, in the short amount of time, and we don't want to waste the night. So therefore, if we're preparing for Yom Tov, let's try and prepare a meal that's really a nice meal, but at the same time, it's a meal that doesn't in any way infringe on the primary purpose of what we're supposed to be doing on the Lev Shavuos. That's the first relevance, and that's why it's important to understand the background to the minig of the shul. Hadlok is nearest this year, of course, can only be at night. There's no question, because you can't light candles before Shabbos. You, the preparation, as we said, can only be 
Tanana Ruda be started uh, in, in the evening. Ideally, you shouldn't be taking out of the freezer. You should take it out of the freezer on Friday and put it in the fridge. And then when it comes to Motsi Shabbos, it'll be ready to be heated up. Try to avoid having too many foods that need heating up. Eating chamin and yomzu is very important, but try and avoid the, the too many pots to heat up. Now, another area which is very important, and we've never discussed this, is, um, is cookers today. You know, everybody has a gas cooker, and you have a gas digital meter. You really have a problem, because we have that. And uh, my wife doesn't like using uh, high gas on, on yomzu, because she's nervous that the gas will will explode and the whole house will burn down so we keep it, we keep it very low but for people who don't mind turning the gas up on Yom Tov, if your gas is low and you want to turn it up so you can heat up your soup uh, you're going to have a milky soup on, on, uh, on the first night you have to have milky soup of course no, that's extremely important you're horrible on the other if you don't have milky soup it's not shavuot but you need to heat it up and you've taken it out of the freezer on Friday and you put it in the fridge and it's still half a block of ice so you want to put it on your gas and you're going to turn your gas up when you turn your gas up, automatically your digital meter is going to start swinging around faster, which is a, a huge problem in Halakha. This gets us involved in the, the discussion of digital meters for water, digital meters for gas. These are all huge halakha problems where the Poskin fights, those say it's permitted, those say it's not permitted. I'm not, going to go, go, I'm not going to go down the route now of discussing whether it is permitted, isn't permitted. It's definitely best to avoid if one can avoid. So if you do, do have a, a digital meter, if you can avoid switching the gas up on Yontav, you're much better off. We have the meaning not to switch gas down on Yontav. If you have a digital meter, you have an extra problem to switch the gas down on Yontav. It just, just uh, compounds the issue. So again, in the preparation stage, one has to remember, if we're preparing, let's prepare something that will avoid A, the keeping everybody waiting for the meal, B, the problems of moving gas up and down, uh, and uh, enable, enable there to be a yomt of meal with, uh, you know, I just think cereal is probably the best, no? <laughs> Sorry? It won't go that way. <laughs> Try and avoid doing using it. If you want to know what to do practically, because you have no other choice, come to me afterwards and we'll, we'll discuss it. You can use a plug, you can use a plug and think, sure. You can't lay the table on Shabbos, of course, for Yom Tov, because it's Hachonah. It's, it's the same applies in the shul. The Gabba is not allowed to take the Machzoyim out of the... Uh, this is, again, only, only in our shul. It's irrelevant, because most other shuls doesn't exist. But we have box of Shavuos Machzoyim, which is, you know, out comes the Shavuos Machzoyim, it gets put on the side. Anybody wants a Machzoyim, if you can get the first to grab it, will be Zeichah to a Machzoyim. Most people, they have their own Machzoyim, but we still take out the Machzoyim. The, the Gabba is not allowed to take the Machzoyim out until it's not. After that, you can go out and take them out on On Shabbos, or bring them out on Friday. You can't take them out on... And the same would apply if you live in an area where there's an Arab. You wouldn't be allowed to bring your machsa on Shabbos to shul. Because that's, again, hachama. Uh, last week, the Gabba announced, uh, at the end of his announcement on Shabbos morning, and please remember to bring your machsa before Shabbos. And the reason for that is because, A, practically you should have a machsa, and B, you shouldn't transgress the malacha of Hachona. The same applies to the, the Gabba who looks after the Sefer Comes Shabbos afternoon and he suddenly realizes, oh, he forgot to roll the Sefer for Shavuot's morning. And Shavuot's morning is uh, three, four o'clock, 4.30, they're going to be laning. 
So he wants to quickly roll on Shabbos, he's not allowed to do that. That's our honor. So it does limit us a little bit, Shabbos before Yom Tov. It means that we have to prepare everything that we can prepare before Shabbos. Now here's another very interesting halach, which is extremely important to remember. Putting food back in the fridge. So you come Shabbos morning, and you've finished the you know, meal, you had a salad, and you're going to use the salad twice, you've got different guests Shabbos morning to, to, to the night of Shavuot, so it doesn't matter if you use the same salad twice, and your husband doesn't mind eating the same salad twice, so you, you're going to put the salad back in the fridge and be able to use it again for that night or for the next day. That's no problem at all. You're allowed to put food back in the fridge, even if your intention is to use it for the evening, for the next day for Yontav, because putting food back in the fridge is not considered hachomah. It's called preserving the food. However, we have a, a halakha called hachomah bedibble, where your words can actually change an action from a permitted action to an action of hachomah. If you hold this salad and you make a big announcement, ladies and gentlemen, I'm putting this salad back in the fridge so that I've got this salad for Yomtev tonight, that's hachomah. That's achana. That's not permitted. Where is this really come relevant? Because nobody makes such announcements. But where it is relevant when it comes to sleeping? You're allowed to go to sleep. Shabbos afternoon, three, four, five hours straight. Because never if you're going to be up at three fifteen on Shabbos morning. Not Shabbos. That's terrible, right? They have, not, have a full night's sleep is disastrous. It's going to knock us back. So we have to prepare for it. So we go to sleep for five hours on Shabbos, Shabbos on Shabbos afternoon. No, no problem. You're allowed to sleep Shabbos afternoon, even if the reason why I'm sleeping is because I intend to stay up. But so Shabbos. But, to make a big announcement, I'm going to bed now for four hours so that I can stay up tonight. That's a con of the dinner, that's awesome. That's awesome. We're running out of time, so let's just run through a couple of, couple more lockers. Uh, I wanted to discuss one, one or two other things at the end. The Kiddush on, on Matzai Shabbos, of course, is going to be a Kiddush which includes Havdalah, and we spoke about this on Shabbos Havdalah. It's going to be the Yachnahaz, and you've got the problem of Havdalah on the Matzai Shabbos. How do you make Havdalah? How do you make the bracha on the candle? Matzai Shabbos, and we discussed the Shabbos Havdalah, so I'm just reminding you that wind your tape recorders back to Shabbos Havdalah, and then we discussed the, the, the concept of Havdalah with a single candle, or putting the candles together, etc. Everybody should follow the Ominic, and if you don't have a Ominic, then it's best just to put the, hold the candles near each other, but not to put the, the flames together, because you're entering into some uh, complicated areas there, where it's best to avoid. Where it's best to avoid. Yeah, I want to discuss urns for a minute. I thought we'll do just a quick hazar on urns. We won't get involved in, in all the nitty-gritty of urns, because uh, we did give the printouts and the, the different numbers of urns a number a while back, a year or two ago, which urns were okay, which urns are not. But just to remember, a three-day yomtev means you need lots of copies, because you're going to be up, and it's very late, and the time you finish eating is late, and there's not much sleeping. Shavuos is not a yomtev for sleeping. I suppose that's the way we rectify the mistake of sleeping at the time of Kabbalah Sapphire. So men, women, none of us sleep much over Shavuos. But, if you don't sleep, then you need to drink coffees. So drinking coffee means you need lots of hot water. And m- most average urns will last you for one day, and maybe if you don't have so much hot drinks, so many hot drinks, and if it's a bit hot out there, so you won't need your hot water bottles. So it'll, it'll last maybe for two days, but we've got a three-day yomtuk now. Three-day yomtuk needs three days of water. So let's remember, some urns are fine to fill, some urns are problematic to fill. So let's just run through them very briefly. If you have an urn with a simmer stat, an urn with a simostat means it does not have a thermostat. It goes on every 30 seconds, every minute, every two minutes, every three minutes. It just switches on, boils for a minute or two, shuts down, does the same thing, 
it's got no relevance to the temperature of the water inside the water temperature inside is cold it'll do it again every two minutes if it's hot it'll still do it every two minutes not temperature related at all the thermostatic just clicks on every two minutes that and on those urns you can fill on Yom Tov of course fill it not don't fill it just before night on any day of Yom Tov because that you can't do but as soon as it's morning or night after night you can fill your urn with water and allow it to boil it will eventually well, it'll take a few hours but eventually every minute and a half two minutes it will come on and off on and off on and off it will eventually heat up the water and you will have hot water for uh, your pre-shakris coffee in the morning and that's perfectly permitted there's no problem with that that's not, you're not in any way crossing any halakhic boundaries if you have a sorry we're, we're going to, a semistat will not have a light a semistat is just a single light it says on it will stay on and you just pour water in it doesn't make a difference you pour water in pour water out nothing changes so you can add as much water as you like that's if it's a semistat there are other, other urns which are made with thermostats now a thermostat whether we we, we discussed we don't particularly like using urns with thermostats the thermostats at all the federation came out with how you can use the urns with thermostats and we're not getting involved in that discussion now but if you have an urn with a thermostat the moment you pour cold water into it you're going to trigger it and it's going to start heating up and therefore that's forbidden to put cold water into it you can't put cold water into an urn with a thermostat I think the urns that you're talking about Mr. Shanto is the urns that have two separate lights it has a, a green light and a red light the green light is when it's on and the red light is when it's boiling now those are urns which have two separate as we've discussed they have two separate elements one element is a keep element which keeps the, the water hot the other element is a boil element a much stronger element which boils the water now if you pour cold water into that urn again it will change from the green light to the red light because it's now dropped in temperature it will trigger the switch over of the two elements and it will switch on the other element and it will boil up until it's to the right temperature and then it will switch over to the other element so those two types of urns cannot be filled on Yomtev at all unless you boil your water on the gas or on your electric stove and when it's boiling you pour it in as it's boiling the moment you let it cool a little bit it will also trigger the, the, the switch over in the light you pour it in just as it's really really hot then most of these urns will not they're not sensitive enough to notice that difference in temperature of the water boiled on the gas to the water boiled inside the urn and it usually doesn't change it can change but most of them don't the, the smaller ones are better than the bigger ones the bigger ones again because it's a, a larger urn when you pour the hot water in it cools down and, and sometimes triggers a changeover but the smaller ones the, 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 what are they called the 9 litre ones 8, 9 litre ones are usually okay you can add the water when the, light, when the red light's on but then you need to stand there and watch when the li- red light's on uh, in my urn for instance it doesn't go the red light doesn't come on the whole shower it goes it cooks before shower switches on and maybe it does it once in the middle of the night but I've never seen it go on so if you're going to stand there waiting you're going to be there all day but if, if yours goes on every so often then yes you can put it on when, when, when it goes on no you can put cold water in then yes well, if the red light's on so it's now boiling you can just, put, it'll just stay boiling for a bit longer that's all that's all ok I hope that just gives us a bit of a reminder we did discuss urns at length um, we discussed those at length in, in, in a while back, in a year, year or two ago. The, again, we're, we're talking about Yom Tov Shani here now, moving over on to Yom Tov Shani. It's become fashionable in northwest London, and again in the Shibula, because uh, Shavuos is such a tiring Yom Tov, and people are very, very tired, and they can't wake up. Second night Yom Tov from nuts, it's really too much for them. I'm talking about youngsters, not 
for old people because under 24 hours of sleeping on a Yom Tov is terrible. So they, they've got this minute of bringing in second day Yom Tov early. And then the couple of second day Yom Tov early. And that really causes a lot of problems. I can't say it's also. It's definitely not also. They're definitely there. Or shit, as I say, it's permitted. But it just causes enormous amount of problems. You're going to have lockers and areas on the first day Yom Tov. What for? Excuse me, like that. For my life, you're like for. Especially if I finish my meal before Nacht. I've lit, lit a candle for nothing. But then, if, if my meal is going to cross between first day Yom and second day Yom I'm going to have problems with Bachana and, and do Malachas from, from one day Yom to the other Yom Tov. It just creates enormous amount of problems. And therefore, the minute here in our shul, the minute in most of Kalisrol, was always, unless it's a, a, a really, really necessary, unless it's an old age home or something like that, uh, always to wait second night Yom for Nacht as well. And my advice to everybody is please, if you can, wait second night Yom for Nacht. You, you do save enormous amounts of problems. We'll just finish off now, we're really running out of time, we'll finish off with two very interesting halachas, relevant pieces of information which are relevant to Shavuos. The first is on the first day of Shavuos, we have the minute to lay in Hakdomas. Now we lay in Hakdomas on the first day of Shavuos, the minute in our shul, the minute in the whole of Ashkenaz, this minute is not, is not found amongst the Svadim. Svadim does not have this minute, because this is a minute which it stems from Ashkenaz, it comes from Germany, uh, the python was a German Jew from, from Mainz, or one of these uh, German towns, and he wrote this piet. There's a whole legend behind the piet, a very interesting legend behind the piet, which is not for now. A whole story, whether the story is true or not, is difficult to know. But a legend which, which has uh, developed in Kalisrol, and of course every legend gets uh, additions added to it every so often, so it's become a real legend and a whole long story. But the, what's interesting about Akadomus is it's written in Aramaic is very unusual, particularly if it was written by a German python, by a German poet, so why on earth was it written in Aramaic? Now, the, the background to Akadomus probably was, historically in Kalisrol, and it only stopped in relatively recently, not recently, in recent, in recent times, but yeah, more like a thousand years ago, the, the minute in Kalisrol was that we'd have the Balkari wood lane, and then somebody would come and translate the Kriya Satoya after every pasuk, after two pasuk, after three pasuk, he would translate the Kriya So you'd have what's known as a Balkaya, you'd have the Metagman. He would translate it. So you can imagine how long davening took on the Shabbos morning, when every Kriya w- was laid once and then translated by a Metagman. So the Metagman would translate in Aramaic, in, in, in the Targum. So Akdomus was actually written as an introduction to the Aramaic translation of the Aserus Hadibris, that's going to be laying on, on Yom Tov morning. So what would, ha- what would have happened in historically would have been that we would have started the Kriya Satara at normal and we would have gone through the process of the Kriya and the Targum, the Kriya and the Targum. When we get to the Aliyah of the Aserus Adibris, he would have made a bracha and he would have lain the Aserus Adibris and before the Metagum, before the translator would translate into Aramaic, he would then read this beautiful, beautiful introduction. It really is a beautiful introduction. If anybody can get an English translation of it, and there's a new book out I saw in, in Chaim's the other day called Insights, I think it's called. In fact, it's really, really nice. He's got the whole, all the different versions of the legend in the book. It's really nice. It really is a beautiful piece. And he gives us the background to the, the, the tremendous unbelievable how he created the world and, and all the malachim and the beauty of Kalisrol and how the nations try to entice Kalisrol away from the Torah and how we understand that the Torah is everything and the, what the rewards we're going to get for the Torah. It really is a beautiful piece. But that was probably originally said before the translation of the Asar Sadibris. We stopped. We stopped a number of years ago. 
number of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the concept of a translation, but the Akdomas we didn't stop. That we never dropped. It's such a beautiful piece that we kept that in place. But we couldn't keep it in its original position because uh, there's no meta- there's no targum. It was said be- before the metagum, before the translator would actually translate Hasidic libris. We can't suddenly plunk in the middle of Hasidic libris. Start off saying Akdomas. So we shifted it to just before Kriyas Atayu. So, so we now have sorry. In Akdomas? No, no, you get mixed up with Haftarah, with the Sipriskan. No, 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 we don't say Sipriskan. We do say Sipriskan. You start off with the Passover, then you say Sipriskan. Akdomas is said before the, before the coin actually makes his brother. If you, we get that, you come call to us three in the morning, you can come pleasure. <laughs> the Kayan the, the, the gets called up, he comes up, and before he says his brother, the Barkaya will read the, the Akdomas. So we've shifted it from its really true place. Because it's such a beautiful uh, piece, we don't want to lose the piece. We say it before before Kriyasatayah, but it really is an introduction to Aserus Adivus and a really a beautiful intro- introduction. And finally, on the second day of Pesach of Shavuot, we lain Shir Hashirim, which is itself also very strange. The Halakha tells us why do we lain Shir Hashirim? Oh, sorry, we lain Rus. Sorry, you're right. Why do we lain Rus on the second day of Shavuot? How do we lain? Why do we lain Rus on the second day of Yom Tov of Shavuot? And the pastor, the hater of Tavros, because uh, Shavuos is the birthday of Dovla Melech. And Rus is the story, the whole background to how Dovla Melech was born. But therefore, we learn the story of Rus. Now, if we're trying to commemorate the birthday of Dovla Melech, there's something very strange about that. Because Shavuos has no fixed date. Shavuos can actually change dates, depending on the well, Nowadays, we have a fixed calendar, so for us, Shavuos is fixed. But in, in real terms, Shavuos has no fixed date. If Ia has one day Rishchidosh that means Nisan has 28 days and Ia and Sivan will have one day Rishchidosh so, so Sivan so Ia will also only have 29 days then Shavuos which has to be 50 days will end up being on day 7 of, of Sivan if Ia has 2 days Rishchidosh it means that Nisan has 30 days and Ia has 30 days that means 7 has 2 days Rishchidosh and Shavuos will be on the fifth. So, so, so we'll be laying the, we'll be commemorating the birthday of Dovid Melech on different years and different days. He doesn't have a fixed birthday, and this is very strange. Dovid was born on the day he was born, whichever day Shavuos fell on that year. That's when he was born. So, yet we commemorate the birthday of Dovid Melech depending on whichever day Shavuos falls. So, if you give me a different reason for Megillus Rus, fine. But if the reason for Megillus Rus is to commemorate the birthday of Dovid Melech. And there's something a bit strange here. So what's very clear is that we're not actually commemorating the birthday of Dovid Melech. We're commemorating the birth of Dovid Melech. The birth of Dovid Melech, in the sense that Dovid Melech represents the Malchus of Hakodesh Baruch Hu. He is the the Malchus-based Dovid. The Malchus-based Dovid is an integral part of who we are. So much so that Mashiach is going to come from Malchus-based Dovid. So we're commemorating the birth of Dovid Melech. The birth of Dovid Melech, which represents Malchus, is way, way beyond time. It's not in any way time-bound at all and can, can, can be sometimes be on one date and another date. We don't want the time-bound because the Malchus of the Revention, which Dovna Melech is a conduit of, has no parameters in the physical world whatsoever. Completely not to be on. So therefore, we lay in Megillus Rus to commemorate the birth of Dovna Melech, but it has no set date because Dovna Melech's birth represents Malchus and that Malchus has no set time whatsoever. The key is that we have to connect to the Revenge Shalom, we connect to the Sarasadivirus, 
through the beautiful Akdomus, we connected ourselves to the Rishon Mekabal, the Torah, and again, Torah has no time. That's why the Yomtev of Shuras is the only Yomtev that has no date to it. There's no date whatsoever. It can be the 5th, 6th, or 7th. There's no date. So Kabbalah Satayah doesn't have a fixed date in the way we commemorate it. Because Torah is not, it's not time-bound. Vagisa Bayem Velayla. You have to learn Torah 24 hours a day. No time frame. Mitzvah. Torah pushes away all other mitzvahs. Epshim Ben Yechai, when he was learning Torah, he didn't have to keep any mitzvahs. We nowadays have to keep mitzvahs and that pushes away learning. But Epshim Ben Yechai, who learned Torah in its truest form, he didn't keep any mitzvahs. Torah is above everything. And therefore it has no time frame. The birth of the Melech is the same thing. The birth of the Melech also has no time constraints whatsoever. Because the birth of the Melech is the birth, is the revelation of Malchus of the Reh Shalom. We should be very to see the continuation of the dynasty of the Melech. Melech Moshiach, the Korib, the Meir, the Thank you very much.